you are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you personally? Brexit process. U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once in a generation a global vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Ireland has spoken with a clear, strong voice. I think I should stop now and start again, because I don't think you this is a good news. start of the debate. Welcome to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast, in which we discuss current political events. My name is Sean Abanam Ward, and today with me we have Professor Ulrich Garot, the founder of the European Democracy Lab. Today we'll be discussing the concept of citizenship within the EU and how Brexit has challenged this. Currently, there is a case before the European Court of Justice surrounding the approach the EU is taking to citizenship. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or find us on our social media via at DublinLPR or on our website DublinLPR.ie. This podcast will furthermore be aired on Swatch, Radio Navi Mumbai and Galway's Flirt FM. Welcome, Professor. Welcome. I'm very pleased to be with you. Thank you so much for taking this call and letting me interview you for this concept. It's very interesting and I know you're very busy at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I apologize to, to the listeners, but I was just late with my train. So I'm a little bit breathing, uh, regaining my home, but then we will have more calm in the podcast. That's great. Thank you. So we can just go straight into questions if that works for you. Yes, it does. So you're, you're a co-plaintiff of the case before the Court of European Justice. What is the history of this case and what are the arguments by the plaintiffs? Well, thanks for asking. The case is case T 2052-29. It is done by Alexander von Westernhagen, who is a German lawyer at a lawsuit in Brussels and in London. And um, she is um, claiming for European citizenship being of permanent status. So the essence of the plaint is uh, to argue that European citizenship has been given by the European Union in 92, when the European Union drafted the Maastricht Treaty, which has constitutional value, and that the European citizenship therefore cannot be taken away by the United Kingdom, which is that European citizenship is of permanent status. This reflects the two-pillar structure of the European Union, that the European Union is a union of states and the union of citizens. So even though the United Kingdom as a state may leave the European Union under Article 50 by the end of the year, the British people, the British citizen, would remain European citizens. So that is the case, and we want the European Constitutional Court to answer us the question, yes or no, is the European citizenship of permanent status as any other citizenship that you never lose, whatever you do in life? And so we hope that the court will consider our case. So I'm interested to know what status has the case currently before the European Court of Justice? Well, uh, we are in the very beginning. Uh, we have deposited the, the case uh, of August. There are a couple of uh, people who are doing this. There are a couple of co-plaintiffs like we are. And uh, I think for the moment uh, that you need still a couple of weeks for the court to consider whether it will accept the case or not, because this is a long process. Uh, obviously, we have asked for some emergency because Brexit is at the horizon and our case is contextualized with the Brexit, Yeah, because what we do want to achieve is that on the 1st of January 21st, actually, the UK as a state leaves, but the Brits remain European citizens. Yeah? This is basically what we are aiming for. So we still have two months left 
uh, we didn't hear from the court so far. Um, and the question will be whether there will be acceptance or not of the case before the end of the year. And along those lines, if the court was to accept this case, how will that interact with the actualization of Brexit when the UK finally ceased their connection with the EU? Well, we don't know and I don't know because uh, this is a very tricky legal matter. The legal matter is that what we want is that the British citizens are protected or continue to be protected under the justice of uh, ECJ. And for instance, with respect to mobility, with respect to freedom of movement, they keep freedom of movement and they are not third country citizens by the moment that the UK is leaving, which is very important because uh, it is very important for, fee for visa regulations and all these things. But obviously, citizenship context, European citizenship applies also when it comes to social matters. Imagine you're a British citizen, you have been working in the European Union and vice versa. Uh, what, is, what is your right to get unemployment schemes and these things? So, uh, you know, all these things, a couple of million of uh, European citizens actually, be it Britons living in the EU or be it European citizens in, in the UK, can be affected and therefore we hope that the Constitutional Court, the ECJ, will consider our plaint in some time soon and at least give temporary answer, yeah, because it will not be, I mean, any judgment cannot be affected before January 21st, but we can hope for giving, getting signals from the court and signals already would orient the case in some direction. And how would this case, if it were successful, getting a positive judgment from your perspective, how would that change the concept of citizenship within the EU, both with physical changes for citizenships and actualized rights, and of course, in theories of citizenship generally? Well, I think there are several layers to this discussion. What it first would mean in practical terms, if we could achieve that it's of permanent status and it cannot be withdrawn, it would basically to keep the Brits in the European citizenship umbrella and under direction of the European Court. You may argue that there are many Brits who do not want this because they voted for Brexit, but you could argue that at least half of the British citizens who are in the Remain camp would love to see themselves continued being in the European citizenship. It would have a very practical layer for them, as I said, with respect to traveling and to social things. But there are, there are other important layers. First, there is the situation, for instance, that after Brexit, Nicola Sturgeon already called for a new Scottish referendum and probably wants independence. And now the polling says that there are 58% of Scottish people who would love to see independent Scotland after Brexit. So um, there is a legal argument to make that if you carry on European citizenship, the Scottish people, if they could decide on a referendum, which is not sure, and if then the referendum would be positive, which is not sure, but then that you would need no re-entry into the European citizenship scheme because you could carry it on from Brexit to, say, Scottish re-entry to the European Union. That is for one. The second thing is that we are now launching, uh, Ursula von der Leyen is launching a conference on the future of the European Union. The conference shall be launched in sometime soon. She wants to interview something like uh, 300,000 uh, people across the European continent uh, with three, 280 or so more permanent representatives of these citizens. 
And there is a question whether if European citizenship is of permanent status, British citizens could be also consulted, whether they could be part of the conference on the future of the European Union. There is a third layer of uh, what we are targeting at, which is, for instance, with respect to the next elections coming, to make the European Commission or all the institutional bodies of the European Union to reconsider the very notion of what citizenship is. Because actually, in many of the flyers and the prospects and the papers of the European Commission, the EU institutions call us European citizens. They call us to be consulted. They call us to go to vote at the European Parliament elections and so forth. And the question that we are framing when we ask for European citizenship of permanent status is also, let us really be European citizens. Because if you are consulting us as European citizens on the, on the future of the European Union, or if you, are, if you are calling us to vote in the European elections, in essence, and this is important, we are still British or German or Slovak or Portuguese or Finnish citizens in what the French sociologue Pierre-Rosan Vallon calls the sacred of citizenship, le sacre du citoyen. So the European citizenship, as, as for now, it offers a variety of things which we share, for instance, freedom of movement or the right to go to a consulate out, outside of the European Union in Africa. A, a, a Dutch person can go to a Danish consulate and a couple of things. But we do not share the sacre du citoyen, the sacred of citizenship, which is we are not equal when it comes to voting, to taxation and the access to social rights. So what we want to do is that when the court might say European citizenship is of permanent status, we get a foot in the door to have a real consideration about what citizenship actually means and to push this discussion further to the very notion of what citizenship means, which is legal equality for all European citizens. That really is a key factor in your opinions on a European republic. And that's kind of taking this another step further, I suppose. Well, uh, the idea is first not new. It's very important to point to the fact that Victor Hugo already in um, 1858 would go for the French assembly and say, un jour on l'aura cette république européenne. So the idea is basically 170 years old. But sometimes an idea flies and sometimes it does not fly. And the real question is, may the idea now fly? You can also say that the idea was the founding, the more Republican idea. If we define Republic, a group of people, especially a group of citizens, which underthrow themselves under equal law. Now, this is the definition of Cicero. So let's assume that we take this definition of Cicero, what a Republic is, which is citizens that agree independently of their origin, be them Scottish or Bavarian or whatever, to underthrow them under equal law, under same law. If this is the definition, uh, then uh, not only Victor Hugo uh, claimed for République Européenne in 1858, but also if you look back to the Declaration of Ventotene of 1944, one of the anti-fascist people who wrote a manifesto in Ventotene in the Italian island, and it is also a concept of Europe which is based on equality, legal equality of citizens moving into one European democracy. So now, if you remember also Jean Monnet, who once said, L'Europe, nous ne coalisons pas des États, 
nous unissons des gens. Europe is not about integrating states, but about uniting people. You see the paradigm shift from states to people, meaning states are integrating. And the European Union so far, which is the marvelous project, peace project, brought us the single market, brought us the euro, Schengen, many things, and states have been integrated. But you can say that today, basically, European integration as being integration of states is nearly achieved. We have an integrated market, we have integrated Schengen zones, we have integrated currency. There are still some things to be to better be performed, but it's achieved. Now, what is missing is European democracy, but democracy is about citizens. So when states are integrating, citizens are building a democracy. So what I wanted to achieve with my offer of discourse is a paradigm shift from United States of Europe towards the European Republic, which would mean we shift the discourse also from integration of states to building a democracy. And we would shift the discourse from having the states as actors of the European project towards the European citizens as main actors for building a European democracy. And all these three shifts from integration to democracy, from states to citizens, are uh, essential of the concept for European democracy because if you accept the definition of Cicero, a republic is those who are underthrow themselves under equal law, which is also basically all the writings of Hannah Arendt, then we could say, look, we are now, through the pandemic, together in, together out, we are now 500 million people on this European continent. We want integration as achieved. We want to build a democracy, but there's one single necessary, though not a sufficient condition for a democracy, which is precisely legal equality of people. I wonder, coming from an Irish perspective then, and you could probably relate this to a lot of countries in the EU, that national identity is quite a massive factor in this. I think people have this fear that by introducing themselves into European Republic and having a common legal ground for citizens, that they're in some way giving up their personal customs or national customs and national identity. Well, that's the least thing I want, truly. Uh, And I give you some examples because it essentially comes from what you define what a nation is. But let me give you a couple of examples. In the French Republic, uh, you have uh, Bretons and you have, or Brittany, and you have Corsic, Corsica people. Definitely, they do not share the same identity and not the same language. I can tell you that Corsic language and Breton language is quite different and very different identities in terms of what do they eat, what is the culture, what is the costumes, and so on. Still, the Bretons and the Corsic people live together today in the French Republic. So what makes them French citizens today is that they are under throne under the legislation of the French Republic. They share legal equality. And at the end of the day, they have the same access to social rights. They have the same SMIC, the same unemployment scheme. Uh, They pay the same taxation, right? So they are uh, different in their identity, uh, in their language, their culture, but they still share the same rights. So if I talk about the European Republic, my discourse offer is, can't we model a European unity political project of uh, unity, which we always told that should be a project about unity in diversity. 
Yeah. And then we had lots of discussions. Oh, we do not want European unity because I want to keep my identity. I want not to, I want to, I do not want to be in the same, whatever, uh, sauce, uh, sausage of uh, European matched culture. Yeah. But here you go. You need to distinguish between normative unity and cultural diversity. And it works for most of the multinational countries or states we are living in. For instance, me, I'm a German citizen. I come from Rhineland. I am not so much into Bavarian culture. Yeah, for me, Bavaria is sort of strange. But still, I'm a German citizen and I share with my Bavarian counterfellows, I share legal equest, legal access to the same rights. We vote the same way, our common parliament. We have the same unemployment scheme if something goes wrong. And we have the same schemes of social help if something goes wrong in our lives, right? So what I try to argue is that we need to go back to civic understandings of unity and to normative understandings of rights, which is you can share equal rights even though you have different languages, cultures, and identities. And if that works for the German Republic, Bundesrepublik Deutschland, in which today you have the Prussians and the Bavarians and the Saxonians and the whatever Rhinelanders, and it works for the French. You can also go to, to Spain. Spain today is a kingdom, I know, but still, and we say Spain is one nation state, but actually Spain comes from four distinct kingdoms, Castilian, Andalusian, Catalonian, which formerly in the Middle Ages were kingdoms. And from kingdoms were individual states and then were unified in a nation state. So to make a long story short, my story is that between being a nation and sharing the same, say, identity, culture, language, whatever, it does not mean that you cannot share among various nations the same statehoodness or the same state identity, which is precisely what the United Kingdom is, because the United Kingdom as of today is the state in which the Scots and the Valise and the Englanders, the Irish, and or part of the Irish, are basically in one state. And so the real question is, can we, yes or no, do you want we, I mean, is this, could this be an aim that we say, hey, we could model this for Europe. We can have a European state based on a European citizenship, which grants us all similar rights in the very essence of citizenship, meaning voting, uh, taxation, and social access. But we can all keep our language, our culture, our background, our origin. And you even, even beyond today's nation-state identity, we could basically model a European Republic and say, look, the constitutive elements of this European Republic would be the Rhinelanders and the Bavarians and the Tirolas and the Savoyarden and the Catalans and the Scottish and all these people, yeah, which we all had in Europe before basically we invented today's nation state after French Revolution in 1789. I think that's an interesting thought as well. I mean, as I was saying, in Ireland, for Northern Irish people, they have access to British citizenship and Irish citizenship from the Republic. And I think looking at those three countries, the UK, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, 
we see kind of a, it seems like a pilot model for how citizenship works and a different perspective on that. What's your consideration on that and the European Republic and even a concept of citizenship? Well, look, I'm now teaching in Austria and in Austria, the interesting cases too, because if you look at Tyrol, for instance, you have part of it, which is Italy and the other part of it, which is Austria. Yeah. And so always you have these political battles, whether the Austrian government offers to the Tyrolean people living in Italy, Austrian citizenship. So all these little fights, you want to be Austrian or Italian, whatever, could be uh, solved by being European citizens. But let's be more down to earth. Imagine you are, and there are half a million cases, not half a million. I mean, each and every citizen has a case of this. But uh, how many Europeans do you have? I can only point to myself. Yeah, I had a Franco-German divorce, which is really awkward to go through. Then uh, you go from one country to the other working, you have problems with your unemployment scheme or with your retirement scheme. I know a Dutch woman who was married to a German. After he died, she went back to Amsterdam, but does not get widow retirement scheme because she's now living in Amsterdam and she's not on German soul. And then and, and. I have a friend who's German, worked for a German paper in Paris. The paper went bankrupt. And then the question is, does he get unemployment scheme from France or from Germany? France, because he's residing in France, but German, because the paper he worked for is a German paper. So we have 25 million European citizens having cases like this. And it's not, and that is very important to point to, it's not an elite problem. It's not an elite project problem. It's the problem for any cleaning women who comes from Lodz over the German-Polish border to be working in Berlin. It's a problem for the truck driver who goes from Poland to France and, 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 yeah. There are half a million cases of this. And it would speak for basically having an in-depth reflection, what could that mean? European citizenship in real terms, permanent status can't be withdrawn, providing equal rights, also in the core issues of citizenship, yeah, voting taxation and the social meaning that within the political entity of Europe that we want to build, within the entity of a European democracy, and that is my core point for inventing the European Republic, citizens do not compete. We can have regions competing, markets competing, different you know, growth regions, less growth regions, and so as you have it in any given nation state of today with look at England, look at Cardiff versus uh, other Blackpool, whatever, yeah, you have the city of London, uh, downturn regions and so, and, and you have these regions competing and fair enough, I'm not against market, uh, social market economies and competition, but the state project is always a project in which the citizens of that democracy, of that state project, they have legal equality because citizens do not compete. And what we allow today in the European Union is actually that we do have countries which we are citizens are competing race to the bottom social dumping uh, taxation dumping from germany to hungary which is why german companies go to hungary higher under cheaper tax uh, and um, wage conditions hungarian workers who in a way are exploded and so on and so forth yeah so there is a real question whether we want markets to compete but citizens to not compete and legal equality being a feature of a European citizenship could bring us one step further to this. Thank you so much, Professor. I think we can all get a lot out of what you're saying, regardless if it's in EU context or just general um, concepts on citizenships. 
If people want to learn more about this or read more about your theories and concepts on citizenship, where can they go? Well, I mean, the most famous writer is Samantha Besson, B-E-S-S-O-N. She's a French academic and she has written a lot about uh, citizenship in general and European citizenship in particular. So Samantha Besson. But if you want to go more in detail about the concept I'm suggesting, European citizenship in relation to the idea of the European public, I hope on the market it's entitled Why Europe Should Become a Republic, a Political Utopia, and it has been translated into English in um, 2018, and it should be available via Amazon. Thank you so much, Professor, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Dublin Non Politics Review on the topic of the concept of citizenship. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. Comments, questions and suggestions are very welcome via contact at dublinlpr.ie. This was Shauna and I wish you a very pleasant day. Music